0: Please be seated. We, um, we've had a lot of new people over the last couple uh, months, well, actually, since the beginning of our church. But for those of you who are, are new and uh, are visiting our church, and you saw, uh, they're talking about money today. I just want to set you at ease. If, 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 um, if you're like most people you, and you've been around churches for a while, you've seen some pretty manipulating, manipulative teachings on money, Right? And so let me just give you a little bit of a heads up before we dive in. Um, a couple of things that are true about our church, and maybe this will help you a little bit. Our church is not entering into a building campaign. Okay? So, because often the money talk comes out when the churches are about to build a building. Our church um, also doesn't have any debt. And a lot of times the money talk comes out when there's a lot of debt. Um, our church uh, isn't behind on any of our bills. And a lot of times the money talk comes out when you're behind on your bills. Uh, in fact, we try to build margin into our budget um, as a church, and we have a three-month financial cushion. And that's not to say everybody stopped giving for three months, but that's just to say we, we want to be wise. We want to be wise, you know, and good stewards of God's money. So maybe that'll help a little of if you. If, if, if Some of you, if you're, you're new here and you're saying, ah, I know where he's going, he's going for that building campaign, or he's going, uh, hey, you know, you got to give now or else, you know, God's purposes won't prevail, that kind of thing. We're not going to do that. In fact, one of my hopes is that we never talk about money when or if money is especially tight. I, I would much rather talk about money when we're able to do that completely disconnected from anything having to do with the church as a whole so that what we can do when we look at money is look at what is God saying to you? What is he saying to you? Because God wants you to have a life filled with peace. And he wants to have you a life filled with joy and the things that he teaches about money have that end in in mind you know peace and joy and we're going to see that today so again if you're 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 defenses are up. I want to let you know where we're not going today, so maybe that'll help a little bit. Um, let's talk about this, uh, this series that we're in. It's called How to Be Rich. This is part three of a four-part series, and I love the title here. This isn't original to us. There's a, a church in Georgia, North Point Church, and, and they did a series on this. They, they took it some different directions than, than we are, we're going, but I love the title, How to Be Rich, because the Bible doesn't say much at all about how to get rich. The, the Bible's not concerned about that. The Bible's but the Bible does teach about how to be rich. If, if you're rich, there's some things that the Bible says to you. There's times where the Bible talks to rich people. And so when the Bible talks to rich people, how, how do you be rich? How do you, what does the Bible have to say? And one of the things we looked at in week one of the series is who are the rich people today? And one of the things that was surprising, if you look by the worldwide standard, is most of us are rich. Because rich by the world standards to be in the top 4% of income producers, you're making $40,000 a year, roughly. So if you're making roughly $40,000 a year, you're one of the people that the Bible's talking to when it says how to be rich. So we want to talk. We have a lot of people here that are making at least 40000 or more, so this applies to a lot of us. So let's, uh, let's make sure we don't gloss over that. So that was week one of the series. Now, our jumping point For this series has been a passage in 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, let's take a look. Uh, to do a little quick review, and, and even more than review, what I didn't plan it this way, but this First Timothy chapter six actually is a jumping point for each one of our weeks that followed. There's a little piece that we're jumping off of First of Timothy uh, six each of the weeks. I also want to say too, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, we, we keep a stack of them in the back, and we'd love for you to take one home free. If you don't have a Bible, please take one home as a gift to you. We have them in the in the back there. But we've been looking at First Timothy in this series. Let's let's uh, let's go back, do a little bit to review and then have a new jumping off point for today. Uh, we're going to look at First Timothy 6, chapter 6, and also starting with verse 6. It says this, and here's really our jumping off point for, for last week. Now there is great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food, we have clothing, with these we will be content. This was our jumping off point last week as we looked at this idea of godliness with contentment. And we talked about last week why that's a good thing. We talked about how do you get there and then how do you stay there. So that's where we went last week. I'd encourage you to listen online if you if you missed that teaching. It's an important one for us. Well, that was our jumping off point last week. Here's our jumping off off point for this week. It also comes from 1 Timothy. Um, Let's turn ahead to verse 9. It says this those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. Now I want to hit pause there for a second. Because not only does the Bible speak to those who are rich, but it says It speaks to those who desire to be rich. So let's say you don't make $40,000 a year, but you say, you know what? My life would be better if I did. I desire to be rich someday. Then this is for you. So if you make $40,000 or more, this applies to you. If you desire to make $40,000 or more, it applies to you. If you're not one of those categories, just pray for everybody else, which is most of us in this room, either those who desire to be rich or those who are. Okay. So that's who this is talking to. Most all of us, either those who are or desire to. All right, so those who desire to be rich, it says, fall into temptation. Temptation? Into a snare. Into many senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, this desire, this thirsting, this running after money, is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through that craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, O woman of God, flee that. Pursue instead righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. If you're gonna set a goal, if you're gonna set a goal, don't set the goal at riches. Be content with with what God sends your way as you do what he asks you to do. Don't set that as a goal. Set instead pursue righteousness, pursue godliness, pursue faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now, let's remain here in 1 Timothy 6. Let's skip ahead to verse 17, because this is gonna have some more helpful insights for us uh, as we continue on today. And let me quick give a little bit of context before we continue on. The, the author here that we're looking at, the human author who wrote through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is a guy named Paul. And Paul was a real person, a real first century guy, and he was writing in 1 Timothy a letter to a person named... You guys are Bible scholars. Bible scholars he 's writing uh, Paul is writing to a guy named Timothy. Timothy was a, a younger leader in the church, and so Paul is trying to mentor him and he mentors him on all kinds of things, but one of the things he mentors in he said here 's what you should tell the rich people in your congregation here 's what you tell the rich people. Tell them this, and this is where we 'll pick up first Timothy chapter six, picking up with verse seventeen. As for the rich people in this present age, so he was talking to the rich person in that present age, why it applies to the rich people in this present age. For the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to be arrogant, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. If you think riches are uncertain, uncertain, say amen. Amen. All right, they are. Don't don't put your hopes on the uncertainty of of riches. Put them on God. He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. The rich people are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And if they do that, here's the good part. If they do that, if we do that, we will store up treasure for ourselves as a good foundation for the future and we can take hold of that which is truly life. Now, I would imagine everyone in this room wants to take hold of life that is truly life. You don't want an empty life. You don't want to be a Scrooge. You don't, want, you don't want to chase after wealth only to realize it didn't bring what I thought it would bring. You want life that is truly life. You want to be able to enjoy the situation God has you in. If he has you in riches, you want to be able to enjoy it. If he has you in a real simple situation, he wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to be content in all situations. God wants that to happen in us. And part of that is for, if you're a rich person, learn how to be rich in good works. That'll help you get down that path. Learn how to be generous, be ready to share. Now, as I was thinking on these things and and praying through these things, I I thought of an old story I heard a long time ago, and that's what these things are in front. If you're listening online, I have two things in front. I have a mirror, and let's just pretend this is a window. All right? So we have a real mirror and a pretend window over here. So uh, there was a story that involved these things, and it had to do with this rich guy. There was a rich guy, and he was feeling like, I'm missing something in my life. And he didn't know quite what he was missing, but he thought, maybe some religion will help me. He wasn't a particularly religious guy, but he thought, you know, I, I, I've heard that that can be inspirational to some folks. Let me, let me call a pastor. So he calls up a pastor, and he says, can, can we get together? Can we talk? I feel like I'm missing something. And the pastor said, sure. So they got together, and when they got together, the pastor met him at the door of the church and said, let's go for a drive. The rich man says, hey, I, that's fine. You know, I want some help here. I'll, I'll play your game. So they get in the car. And the pastor drives to a part of the town where the rich man had never been. It was a real poor part of town. And as they're driving through the poor part of town, the, the pastor says to the rich man, he says, hey, would you flip down your sun visor? The rich man says, I'll play along. So he flips down the sun visor. And there was one of those mirrors there. And so the, the, the pastor says to the rich man, he says, look into that, that, that mirror and, and what do you see? And the rich man says, well, obviously I, I see myself. I see my reflection. And the pastor said, now look out the window and tell me what you see. And the rich guy looks out the window, and, and it's starting to sink in now because what he sees is what appears to be a line um, of, of people who are waiting to get into a homeless shelter. And he sees a woman and, and some kids, and, and the rich man is, this, is starting to sink in. He says, okay, what I see is an opportunity to make a difference. And, and, and the pastor just said, you know, it's interesting you were looking into glass in, in both of the situations. Pastors, they always want to preach, right? Everything's an object lesson. My family hates that. Um, <laughs> but but he, he says, you know, both of them are glass, right? The difference is, with the mirror, you got silver that's clouding your vision. And sometimes that happens. You, you focus so much on the silver that you don't see beyond yourself.
1: And, and as we're
0: Looking at the scriptures, I want you to, you know, the reason I brought these two things is from time to time, look at the two and ask yourself, you know, when, when I approach money, am I approaching money by staring at the silver or am I looking beyond it to deeper things? And in fact, I'll, I'll full confession here, I, I this was going to be a real simple message when I originally was kind of putting it together. I thought, you know, the Bible says to be generous. Let's talk about that. And, and let's just talk about how when you're generous, sometimes you see your money making a difference, and it, it's a good thing. The Bible took us deeper. And in fact, as you look into the, to the window, you know how there's layers, right? And, and, and I want us to even look deeper than just, hey, if you do something nice for somebody, maybe you'll feel good inside. This is, this is deeper than that. As we look into the window, and that's what I encourage you to do today. And and what we're going to do is we're going to look at, um, we're going to use 1 Timothy as a jumping off point to another of Paul's letters today. Paul wrote a number of letters through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wrote to Timothy. He also wrote to some Christians in a city called Corinth. And again, it's a real city, real place. How many have heard of Athens? How many have heard of Sparta? All right, Corinth is kind of between the two. It was a real place. He was writing to real people. And one of the things, as he was writing to them, he said this. He said, God loves a generous or cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Does God love all kinds of folks? Absolutely. But one of the things that Paul wrote specifically to these believers in Corinth, he said, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I want to present to you today that if you continue to focus on the silver, you're not going to be a cheerful giver. At best, you'll be a guilt fueled giver. I'm supposed to give, but oh, this is hard. Right? If you're focusing on the silver, I'm supposed to give some of this away. It's like, ah, but that hurts. It hurts to pry that away. And you might become a giver, but you'll be a guilt fueled giver. God doesn't want you to be a guilt fueled giver. Nobody wins in that situation. You don't win. Maybe someone gets a little more money to work with, but, but, but really there's not winners in that situation. He doesn't want you to become a, a guilt-fueled giver. Here's what, here's what happens to guilt-fueled bi- givers, among other things. So I thought of two things came to mind right away. If you're a believer, one of the things that can happen is you can start to get bitter. You may not consciously think it, but you can start to get bitter because you're feeling like, Oh, God asked too much if you're focusing on the silver. The other thing that happens, and this one almost never happens consciously, it's always unconsciously, it's this idea of entitlement. I gave, so God owes me. Where subconsciously what can start to happen is, okay, God says to give, so I give, therefore, now I'm right with God. Because I did what he asked. And that's not how it works. At least it's a lot more nuanced than that. Let's just leave it there. So guilt-fueled giving, it, it, it doesn't really lead to good places, but cheerful giving is possible cheerful giving is possible and we can see some great things as we look through the window here of of, of how we get there and why that would be so we're going to look at second corinthians we use first timothy as a jumping off point let's go back to the second corinthians where it talks about cheerful giving and let's dig into it a little bit now just as a bible trivia aside but it, actually, it this might be helpful too um the book that we call 2 Corinthians was at least the fourth letter to the Corinthians that Paul wrote. He could have even written more. But when we say 2 Corinthians, we're looking at at least Fourth Corinthians. When you're looking at 1 Corinthians, you're looking at at least 2 Corinthians. How do we know that? Because the Bible says it refers to other letters that are, that are out there, anyway, somewhere. But these are the ones that God wanted to preserve and hand down to us. And one of the things that is helpful to know that there was at least four letters— is that Paul was, he was in relationship with these folks. In relationship. In fact, 2 Corinthians is one of the most personal of all the letters. You can see a lot of pain in here and a lot of, a lot of um, emotion in this, in this letter. Paul's writing for at least the fourth time to a city that is a moral mess. He's writing to believers who are divided amongst themselves. And he's writing to a situation where there were people that were openly rebelling against his authority. So Paul is writing into this just hard situation. And a quick side note, because I look out and I see a lot of people who are leaders in the church, also people who are going to be leaders in the church, or leaders of organizations. 2 Corinthians was a good reminder as I was reading through this of how do you confront without retaliating. You want to be a God-honoring leader, you've got to learn that. You know, and so there's that at no extra charge. You know, to learn how to confront without retaliating. That's a God-honoring leader. Okay, now, one of the things that Paul does in his letter, he references a collection. And this is where this whole idea of generosity, being willing to share, comes in. He references his collection for some believers in Jerusalem. He's writing to Corinth, but he's saying there's these believers in Jerusalem. They're in really tough shape. He's going to take up a collection for them, and that's what he's referring to as we look at the passage. So let's go 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Here's, Here's what he writes. All right, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, another real area. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, as we read this next part, see if this looks like guilt-driven giving that the Macedonians had or cheerful giving. For they gave, of their, to their, they gave according to their means. As I can testify, it was beyond their means, of their own accord. They begged us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. Does this appear to be guilt-driven giving? No. So is cheerful giving possible? At least it was once in history. All right. At least once in history, there were people who were joyfully giving. So, what can we learn from this? What else does Paul say to as he's trying to help the Corinthians get to that place of being able to be joyful themselves? Um, this is this is what we we will see here. And and for me, one of the big um, ahas, as I was studying this week, came from this next section. It's easy to miss. But if we just keep reading a little bit further, picking up with verse 7, it says this, all right, as you excel, Corinthians, in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, see that you excel in this act of grace also. What did he just, he was just talking about what? Giving, generosity, okay? Excel in this also. I say it not as a command, Because that's just going to produce guilt-driven giving, right? Giving. But I say this to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is what? Genuine. There is a link between a sincere faith and cheerful giving. Now That might be a little scary for us that don't feel cheerful about our giving. But the Bible says all kinds of scary things. And there's a temptation sometimes to say, well, the Bible can't be saying that. It can't be saying if I have a real faith, I'm generous. Maybe it is. Let's let's keep pressing in. Let's keep pressing in. All right? So um, uh, as we press in, one of the things that we see is that this isn't the only place he says that. If we just continue to read to verse 24, here's another uh, thing that he says. It seems to reinforce what he said earlier. So give proof. Give proof before the churches of your love and of your boasting, of our boasting about you to these men. All right. Let's open up, if you haven't already, let's pull out our notes, and let's try to, try to, try to apply this and understand it more. Um, and the thing I want us to, to, to focus on here is this idea of God loves cheerful givers because cheerful givers get it. They believe the, the gospel. Why, why is a cheerful liver, why is a cheerful liver? I, I don't know why a cheerful liver would anything. <laughs> if there's such a thing there. <laughs> I just had a really weird picture in my head. but I, I, uh, God loves a cheerful giver because cheerful givers they believe this they believe the gospel now the gospel is is big. The gospel is like this huge diamond with all kinds of facets that all surround the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds when you talk about the gospel. It's a word that means good news, and there's so much good news associated with that. But let's let's talk about a couple of these facets of this gospel diamond that could lead to us being cheerful givers. And the first one, I encourage you to write this down. Cheerful givers, they grasp, they grasp that amazing grace has been extended to them. Why is a cheerful giver Cheerful giver, cheerful in part because they realize, oh, I have been the recipient of amazing grace look at look at how Paul links this, look how Paul links amazing grace, good news, gospel with giving. If we were to just keep reading, just go on to the very next verse. it says this: for you know the grace they 've been talking about grace and giving, now, look at this you don 't for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Was that true literally? Yes. He lived as a homeless man. He had like one, one set of clothing. But beyond that, this is beyond just physically poor. He became poor that by his poverty you might become rich. What other kind of poverty is there? There's a spiritual poverty. And Paul is re- refers to that earlier. If we would have been reading from the beginning of Second Corinthians, look what we would have found in chapter 5. This idea of the gospel and of, of Christ becoming poor in a different sense. If anyone is in Christ, we're a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. Why? Why? Because in Christ, God reconciled the world to himself. For our sake, he made Christ who was without sin to be sin, that in him we might become spiritually rich. We who were sinners are forgiven. He who wasn't a sinner received the penalty that we rightfully deserved. amazing grace, amazing grace. And, and as we grasp that, we realize we are never, ever, ever going to give more to God than he's already given us. He's our savior. We owe our very lives to him, eternal lives to him. We deserve punishment and death. He gave his one and only son that he might have life. He gave what was most precious to him for us. And so when you believe the gospel, you move from if I just to because I have. You move from if I just do this, then maybe God will love me or maybe God will accept me or maybe I can gain eternal life. You can move from when you don't believe the gospel to if I just to wait a minute. Because I have God already did this. He already sent his son while I was still a sinner. He died for me. He already went through all of this. How can I not respond to this? When you believe the gospel, you see this amazing grace. And then the cheer comes eat more easily. Because, oh, now I remember God. When I was in that place, He reached out to me first. How can I not respond to you? So let's keep looking through that window. Let's keep looking through that window. We saw that cheerful givers grasp amazing grace has been extended to them. Here's another thing number two, cheerful givers grasp that every good thing comes from whom? God. You can't give Him anything that's not already His. It all comes from God. This is found in 2 Corinthians 2. Let's go back to chapter 8 where we were. We just continue reading, picking up with verse 13. It says this. Hey, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Okay, so he's saying, I'm not saying that here, you give away all your money and those freeloaders over there can all have it. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you be burdened, that they may be eased. I'm just saying this as a matter of fairness, that your abundance at this what? The present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply whose need? Yours. So are they advocating communism? No. Are they advocating wealth distribution that's forced? No. What they're advocating is, hey, we're all going to need help sometime. We're all going to need help sometime. You're going to want help sometime. In fact, I would be shocked if God doesn't orchestrate something in in your life sometime where you need help sometime so that we can learn this. You're going to need help sometime. So at the present time when you need help, you're going to want someone to help you, right? Well, in all fairness, if you're in a good spot right now and someone else, their present time is really hard, would you help them out? Again, not that you're burdened and that they get to just take it easy, but because let's just help each other out when we we need it. Yeah, I, th- There's a story that, um, that, that uh, really helped make this real to me, um, and I shared it once before. This was, to me, this was the turning point for me understanding cheerful giving. I never understood that phrase before. How, the, how can the Bible tell you to be cheerful? It's like when your parents said, say you're sorry, and you go, I'm sorry. And they're like, well, say it like you mean it. I don't mean it. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, and then, right, so I, I didn't get that. I didn't get it until I became a dad. And I really got it when my my youngest daughter was really young, Andra. And I remember this very vividly. I was was wrapping a a birthday present for my wife. And I'm wrapping this birthday present, and little Andra, who could barely speak, comes kind of toddling in. And she goes, what you doing? I'm saying, wrapping a present for mommy. She goes, oh, I want to do that too. And so she goes into the kitchen, grabs some cookies from the cupboard, brings the cookies out, and starts to wrap the cookies that her mom bought. (laughs) And she was so excited. She was a... Cheerful giver, faith like a child. What if we could become more like that? Where it's like, this is all God's. And she wasn't consciously thinking this. She was just—it just happened, just second nature. What if it could become second nature to us? It's all God's. He gave me the cookies, and if He wants me to have more cookies, He'll put more cookies in the cupboard. You know, He's a good father. He, he can do these things. So if He asked me to, if I have an opportunity to give cookies, I'll give the cookies. They're not even mine anyway. Well, fast forward a little bit, lest you think that our family is all sharing the cookies all the time. <laughs> Nobody's family's all sharing cookies all the time, are we? We're going to amen to that? No? All right. Okay. Well, here's what happens when the silver comes in. When we get a little older, get a little more jaded, the silver comes in. And my, my, my youngest got a little bit older, and, and this last birthday she just had, her sister gave her this great present, some spy gear. Gave her this great spy gear. And you look through and you can see in the dark and stuff. And, and so, so Andra gets this neat spy gear. And her sister, who gave her the present, says, could I use the spy gear? And now this girl's a little older. She's a little more jaded. She's like, my sister doesn't always share with me. What if it gets broken? What if blah, 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 blah? She doesn't want to share the spy gear, which she didn't, wouldn't have had if her Sister didn't give it to her which her sister wouldn't have had if we didn't buy the thing with, with <laughs> Which we wouldn't have had if God hadn't first blessed us And it's so easy isn't it to get jaded and we say well They might not share with me and what if it gets broken and what if what what if what if what if instead of saying Where did ultimately this come from it came from God and if I'm giving something away wisely in Jesus' name, can I trust that if God has something that he wants to give me, he can give me something as well? I needed that reminder. I make it sound so obvious. I need that reminder too. Embedded in the gospel is the good news that God can be trusted. That God can be trusted. Um. Let's quick go back to that 2 Corinthians 8, because I want to show you that. As I say, God can be trusted. Look at this last sentence. It says, whoever, and notice it's in quotes. Paul is quoting somebody else here. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Paul is quoting something. What is he talking about there? Does anyone know? He's talking about manna. For those of you who know the story, God delivered people from slavery with Moses as as the leader that God appointed. And and they get delivered from slavery and they don't have any food. They're out in the wilderness. And God provides manna, which is funny to me because in Hebrew, I guess that phrase means like, what is this? This stuff. They wake up in the morning, there'd be food on the ground. And what happened if you took too much of it? If If you gathered too much, what happened to it? It spoiled. It got rotten. It went bad. If you just sat in your tent... Didn't do anything. You went hungry. If you tried to hoard too much, it just got rotten. God was trying to teach people, you can trust me day after day after day after day. I can take care of you. Ultimately, it all comes from him. And will we choose to trust cheerful lovers, cheerful lovers, cheerful givers? That's a Valentine's Day message right there. When the kids aren't with us. Okay, but the, um, the, the cheerful givers, cheerful givers, they get it. They say everything comes from God. It all comes from God to begin with. I can trust him. He'll take care of my daily bread. If I seek for his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto me. All right, number three, number three. Cheerful givers. Oh, I love this. Cheerful givers view sacrifice as giving something up that you love for something you love even more. I wish I could take credit for that one. I was listening to a podcast on the way, um, uh, driving once, and and, and I heard that definition for the first time, that sacrifice is giving up something you love for something you love more. If you're just giving up something you love, that's going to be the whole um, guilt-fueled giving thing, right? But if you can focus on the thing you want more, then you're able to say, I can exchange this. I think of my sister. I, I've got a bunch of sisters, but I think of one sister who, um, she, uh, she's very sentimental about things. She loves things, especially associated with her past and our, our, our family farm and stuff like that. But she also wants to move into a little hipster apartment in, um, in uh, Minneapolis. And so she realizes, I can't take all of my stuff and make it all fit in little hipster apartment in Minneapolis. And so she's like, she developed this thing that she calls, I, I love you goodbye, that she does with stuff. She realizes, hey, thing that can't fit into my hipster apartment, I love you, goodbye. And she's able to let go of it. She's able to do that because she's looking at something she loves more. And when it comes to giving, oh, I mean, we we spend a lot of time in this, so we won't spend a lot of time now. But but as you're able to give up, you usually find something so much more. If you're giving up in a God-honoring way for causes that are God-honoring, you receive in those situations. And you're able to let go of something that you love, and that's okay, say it. I love you 10% of my money. You know? But I love more having peace with God or I love more what's going to happen with his kingdom or whatever. You're able to say that. I love you more. Does, why does God love cheerful givers? He loves it because they get it. When he sees a cheerful giver, ah, they get it. They get that they they, they know that they've been saved by amazing grace. It's not because of what they've done, but it's because of what God has done. They They, they love... That that God loves that they understand that everything comes from him and that he can be trusted And they realize oh that they're giving up something they love but for something they love more now again Just truth in full disclosure here. Um I needed this. I needed this this didn't go the direction that I thought it was going to go I I didn't think I was gonna be talking about the mirror, but this was so helpful for me And that's why I put it on this side so I can see it because when I, when I focus on the silver, when I'm writing out the check each week, when I see my year-end giving statement, I look at the silver, I go, oh, you know, I, Christmas is coming up, right? Christmas is coming up. And our van died. And it cost a lot of money to get it fixed. And maybe if I just don't give up that, you know, I look at the giving up part. And when you look at that, it's hard. It's hard to give it up. But when you step back and go, wait a minute wait a minute, this all came from God, look what God's done, then we're able to cheerfully say, it's good, it's all good. God, I can trust you, and I can give as, as you have impressed on me to be able to give. So today as we close, I want to invite the worship band to come up, and we're going to sing a classic song, a classic song called Amazing Grace. And I want to close with that on purpose. And, and as we're thinking about that, I, I, my hope is that our gaze can shift, if it's, if, if it's been on the silver, our gaze can shift to amazing grace. And this is our hope. This is our hope every Sunday. One of the reasons we gather, it's meant to be a mini Easter. That's why they moved worship to Sundays. They moved Sundays to, to that so we can, we can come together and go, oh, yes, what a reminder. When the world focuses so much on silver, I can, I can get refocused and go, oh, yes, I'm the recipient of amazing grace. Oh, yes, I can be motivated by things that really, really matter. Oh, yes, we can create a community that lives differently than the rest of the world. Oh, yes. So let's, as we, as we do this song, don't just do a sing-along. Let this be a response, all right? Let me pray to that end. Father, we pray now that as we um, enter into this, this song that has touched so many people through hundreds of years, Lord, may we now engage you And may you take our gaze off of the silver and put it on you who while we were still sinners died for us, who is for us, not against us, who wants to to teach us things all the time that are life-giving. May we put our trust in you today, in your goodness, so that we can go forth from this place with hope and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to have chains when it comes to finances, do one of two things. Either um, spend more than you have coming in, and there's that type of chain, or try to hoard it all that you have. Both of those are chains. In the Bible, it's interesting, points us to neither of those spots, for most folks anyway. Well, for all folks anyway. It points us to a different place, and we're going to look at that different place next week. So let me pray as we go forth. Father, thank you that you desire us to live chain-free lives. You want to set us free. That when we think of money, we just we don't stress about it. You want to bring us there, and thank you, Lord, that you you're, you've spoken into the lie that we will have less stress if we simply have more money. Thank you, thank you for that for blowing that up. So, Lord, I pray that um, as we continue into this series, you're gonna you're gonna help us help us to know how we can be set free, set free. So bless us in that way in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace. Seek and serve the Lord.